0: Morning. Welcome to another episode of History Under Your Feet. I am just an ordinary man and not a very bright man. Jawaharlal Nehru, the first Prime Minister of India, passed away on May 27, 1964 due to a heart attack, sending a nation into mourning that came right on the heels of a humiliating defeat to China two years earlier. After Nehru, who was the question on everybody's lips, and then the choice fell on a short, lean man with wide eyes, with a soft voice, and as humble as one could find. At first glance, he never seemed a likely leader with his unassuming build and soft spoken nature, nor did he ever aspire for power. He considered himself quite an ordinary man and was content being in the background. Yet, destiny had other plans for a man with no interest in the crowns and choosing him as a ruler. He had a formidable task on hand to lead a nation that was coming to terms with the humiliating route to China in 1962. A new nation that was facing the issues of poverty, inflation and more than anything he had to live up to the legacy of Nehru. Lal Bahadur Shastri, the second Prime Minister of India, for decades he was in the background with few even aware of his contribution. It did not help that in an academia dotted with historians who could not see beyond Gandhi and Nehru. He never got due acknowledgement either. Yet this was the man who restored hope to a nation, leading it to victory in the 1964 war against Pakistan. That rather unassuming build and soft voice marked a fiercely strong spirit that refused to buckle in the face of adversity. And yet in his greatest moment of triumph when he made Pakistan sue for peace, he passed away adept that remains a mystery to date. Lal Badur Shastri was shot in bed when it came to stage. He was a colossus, a true jaint, a man of integrity, courage, and honor who could stone tall in moments of adversity. The character was shaped by his childhood in Mughal Sarai, where he was born in 1904, just at the time Gandhiji turned 35 and was agitating for better rights for Indians in South Africa. He was born to Sharda Prasad and Ram Julari, who were farmers, contrary to a popular view. Shastri is not his surname, it was Srivastava. He dropped that he did not believe in caste. In fact, Shastri was the title he received from Kashi Peet. His father initially worked as a teacher and then a clerk at the revenue office in Allahabad but he always found it hard to meet and to his low salary. In spite of the poverty, though he never accepted bribes, and that integrity and honesty was imbibed by Lal Bahadur. His father passed away when he was just a year old and his maternally grandfather who brought him up along with his mother and two sisters. Hajari Lal, his grandfather had a huge family and he was a patriarch everyone looked up to. Lal Bahadur was the favourite of his grandfather who called him Nane affectionately. At the age of 10, he went to Varanasi for higher studies and was known for his self-respecting nature. There is an anecdote of him about swimming across the Ganga home when he had no money to pay for the boat. For someone with a small building, he possessed a whole amount of energy. He could swim for long distance, walk and run and was usually fit. He loved reading and was especially fond of Guru Nanak's verses. He also loved the stage and played the role of Kripacharya and Mahaparad. It was when he was studying at Harishchandra High School in Vaniyadi that he was drawn into the freedom struggle, inspired by Lokamanya Tilak's slogan "Swaraj is my birth, birthright and I shall have it." Inspired by Tilak, he travelled all the way to hear him speak, and he became his lifelong follower. It was, however, Gandhiji who would become the biggest influence on Lal Bahadur. The famous 1959 speech, 1915 speech. At Varanasi motivated him to dedicate his life to the nation. He took part in the 1921 non cooperation movement and left school inspired by Gandhi's clarion call. He did his studies at the Kashi Vidyapeet where he was mentored by Dr. Bhagwanda's lectures on philosophy touched his heart. He got the degree of Shastri after finishing his studies from the Vidyapit, throwing himself headlong into the freedom struggle. He joined the Servants of India Society started by Lala Lajpatrai whose aim was to train youths in the service of the nation. In 1930 he took active part in the salt Satyagraha on Mahatma Gandhi's call, and was arrested for being in prison for two and a half years. That started a long space where he spent most of his time in and out of jails for long, long years. It was during his stay in prison that he began to read a lot, and that's how his ideology was also shaped. He read the books of many Western philosophers, reformers, and also translated the autobiography of Madame Curie into Hindi. Even in presence, he contracted himself with dignity and restrained what was a role model of sorts to others. It was a tough life for him. Away from his wife, one of his daughters passed away. His son fell seriously ill too. While he loved his family and children, he did not let that come in the way of his ideal or service to the nation. Neither his daughter's death nor his Son Sindal, his family's property made him swallow away from the chosen path. Simple living and high thinking was what he followed to the letter, even when he became the principal prime minister. He was sent to the prison again in 1940 when he offered Satyagraha against the British and when the Quit India movement broke out in 1942. He had just come out of prison then. He lived underground for some time, often communicating with other freedom fighters from Aman Anandapavan, the ancestral home of the Nehru's in Allahabad. And he was once again arrested by the British and sent to prison. 1947, India was a free nation. By then, Lal Badur was noted for his organization skills and administrative abilities. Earlier during the 1946 elections in the United Provinces, he proved his mettle by organizing the compass, uh, Congress campaign and leading it to a own victory. It was that this that caught the attention of Govind Ballabh Pant, and when he became the CM of UP, he chose Lal Bahadur to be his parliamentary secretary. Pant had a high praise for Shastri, calling him likable, trustworthy. Later, he became the minister of police and transport in Pant's cabinet and took many noteworthy steps. He prohibited the use of lati charge and firing on protesting crowds. Instead, asked the cops to use water jets. As a transport minister, he was the first to appoint women conductors to. Congress party won a huge majority in the first ever general elections, and Shastri had a major play- role to play. In its success, as General Secretary of Congress, he played a major role in the candidate selection as well as directed the campaigning and electioneering. Though he did not contest elections directly, his own desired that a honest man like him should be in the government. In 1952, he was appointed as Railway Minister, taking charge of one of the most crucial sectors in the economy. He had to get the railways back on track after the disruption due to partition and the new birth banks of a nation. The first class which offered royal comforts was abolished and he took upon himself to provide best facilities to passengers in the general third-class compartment. He provided fans to passengers in third-class compartments and in a way made the travel better for them. He took up complete ownership of the railways and made himself accountable. for anything untoward that happened. When two major railway accidents happened at Ariyallur in Tamil Nadu and Mebubnagar in Andhra Pradesh in 1956 that killed close to 250 people he took the responsibility and resigned. Though Nefru refused to accept his admission, Shastri insisted he must take up and the former had to let him go with the heavy heart he later served as Minister for Communication and then for Commerce and Industry. In 1961, he became the Home Minister when Governor Banh passed away. He was called as Home Minister with that home though he did not have his own decision and stayed in very modest quarters. During the Chinese attack on India in 1962, it was Shashi who to took up the responsibility and ensuring no internal troubles broke on during his tenure as Home Minister. When he became the Prime Minister in 1964, he was faced with many a formidable challenge. Nation was still under the trauma of the defeat in the 1962 war, and Pakistan's an opportunity began to attack along the borders along always instigate Muslims in India. Shastri, however, was made of sternest of He told Russia, Egypt, Canada, UK explaining India's stand and also put forth India's position at in the non-aligned movement. In 1965, Pakistan attacked India, making its foray into the Ran of Kutch. However, they underestimated Shastri, who gave Indian army the full power and they managed to beat back the Pakistani forces. And forced them to sign a peace agreement. Hardly had the ink dried on the Kutch agreement when Pakistan again attacked in the Chamberia in September 1965. War had broken out all along the Kashmir border as Pakistani forces forayed into Indian territory. At the same time, China was also displaying mischief on the Eastern Front. It was in such a moment of crisis that Shastri displayed his character and fortitude. For a man with a small build, Shastri possessed a courage and iron will that belied his physical appearance. He gave full powers to the commander of the army and told them, Go forth and strike. His message to Pakistan was simple We are for peace, but force will be met with force. Addressing the national independence day, he declared from the ramparts of Redford, It does not matter if we are destroyed, we will fight to the last to maintain the honor of India. Around the same time, the Chinese tried to play a mischief, claiming that India had set up armed, armed equipment in its territory and if it do not remove it would have to face its wrath. Shastri shot back, saying that the allegations were untrue and if And also mentioned that if China attacks India, it will not go down to them and defend its territorial integrity resolutely. And in spite of full backing from US and more advanced weaponry, the Pakistani forces were beaten back in crucial battles. Ayub Khan felt that with the weak Shastri at the helm and the nation demoralized by the mid 1962 route, Pakistan would easily overrun India. However, he underestimated the resolve of Lal Bahadur Shastri who led the nation with distinction it was needed and gave him a fitting reply. The UN Security Council called for a ceasefire and then Premier of Soviet Russia, Alexei Kosygin invited both Shastri and Ayub Khan for peace talks at Tashkent in 1966. While many felt that India should not return back the territory India had taken back from Pakistan, Shastri felt otherwise and wanted to give Pakistan a chance. Sadly, that would be. Another mistake repeated often by Indian leaders on Pakistan, trusting a nation whose sole resistance was was the destruction of India. On 10th January 1966, he signed the joint declaration of peace with Pakistan, died the same night. It was believed he died to a heart attack, but like the death of Nichati Shabash in it remains a mystery to date. The tiny man with the oil of iron and had passed away, a small man small in build, but a giant in stature was no more. And yet he would be forever remember for the way he led India during a critical phase.